0: TBN Pinellas Park, WTWD Plant City, WLCC Brandon, Faith Talk Tampa, online at Let's Talk Faith.
1: Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Odyssey. The following program was pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries.
0: was also Peter who arrogantly boasted that he was better than the other disciples remember Jesus said this night you will all fall away when they come to arrest me all of you will scatter like sheep from the shepherd and Peter arrogantly says to the Lord Lord these men I know them they'll do that but not me I will never deny you and Jesus turns and said Peter not only will you deny me once you'll deny me three times that's just arrogance
1: do you ever feel like you're not good enough for God to use in his kingdom? Oh, well, you're right. Not one of us is up to God's standards. Jesus' twelve disciples were not good enough either, but he used them anyway, and he will use you and me too, if we will let him. Welcome to Verse by Verse, a Bible class of the air taught by Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Since 1981, Pastor Steve's clear, practical messages have blessed and challenged his people. Verse by Verse Ministries is thrilled to make these messages available to you through this fine radio station. Today, on Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve begins a three part message which launches a two message series. If we had to give a performance review of Jesus' 12 disciples at the time of his crucifixion, we would have to say, needs improvement. In just about every category. Why in the world did Jesus choose such a group of 'er ne'er-do-wells? If you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 10. Here is Pastor Steve to encourage and challenge us from the Word.
0: Well, let's turn our Bibles to Matthew chapter 10. We begin a new chapter in our study of this magnificent first gospel in the New Testament. And here's what Matthew tells us in the first four verses. Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Now, the names of the 12 apostles are these, the first Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. There is an old legend. It's obviously a fictitious story that says that when Jesus returned to heaven, the angel Gabriel approached him and said, Master, you must have suffered terribly for men down there. Do they all know about you and how you love them and the meaning of your death on the cross? No, said Jesus, not yet. Right now, only a handful of people in Israel know the truth about me. Well, Gabriel was perplexed by this, and so he asked the Lord, then what have you done to let everyone know about your love for them? Jesus said, I've told Peter and James and John and a few more friends to tell other people about me. Those who are told in turn will tell others about me, and my story will spread to the farthest reaches of the globe. Ultimately, all of mankind will have heard about my life and what I've done. Now at this point, Gabriel frowned as the story goes and looked rather skeptical because he knew what poor stuff men were made of. And finally he said, but what if Peter, James, and John and the others grow weary? What if people who come after them forget? What if down through the centuries people just don't tell others about you? Haven't you made any other plans? To which the Lord replied, no, I haven't made any other plans. I'm counting on them. Now, though this story is obviously fictitious, it does highlight an important biblical truth, and it's this. Christ's plan to spread the gospel was placed in the hands of a few men that the Bible calls the twelve apostles. They were the foundation of his plan for world evangelization, and like the Angel Gabriel, in this imaginary story, we too might find that surprising, and we might be a little skeptical as well. Because contrary to what many people think today, the 12 men that Jesus chose to be his apostles were not particularly impressive individuals. Now that may shock some of you to hear that, and it's shocking because down through the centuries these men have often been exalted, they've been put on pedestals, cities have been named After them, they've been looked upon as men of superior quality, better than the rest of us, sort of uh, uh, semi-gods. Truth of the matter is they were very ordinary men, and they had some huge spiritual defects. Here's how one Bible teacher described the 12 apostles. He wrote, not one of them was renowned for scholarship, They had no track record as orators or theologians. They were not outstanding because of any natural talents or intellectual abilities. On the contrary, they were all too prone to mistakes, misstatements, wrong attitudes, lapses of faith, and bitter failure. Jesus remarked that they were slow learners and somewhat spiritually dense. Folks, frankly, far from being an impressive group of super-duper saints, these men that Jesus chose to to train in order to take the gospel to the world were quite, quite average. They were not, as we said, not professional theologians, but rather common men chosen from amongst the cross-section of Jewish society. Now, one of them was a priest from the priestly family. Not one of them was a rabbi. Not one of them was a Pharisee or a scribe. None of them were from the elite theologians of Israel. Several of them were professional fishermen. One was a former political activist known as a zealot. One had been a hated tax collector, that's Matthew, who was working for the despised Roman government, hated by everybody, but some of his close friends who were doing the same thing. And the rest of of these men, we have so little information about them that we have to assume that they must have been just common fishermen, craftsmen, or, or farmers. And because they were such ordinary men and had sinful natures just like us, They all had glaring faults and character issues and problems. I I have referred to them and I continue to refer to them as the defective dozen because that's what they were. There were 12 men with obvious character flaws and defects. Men who could be quite thick and slow when it came to understanding the things that the Lord was saying and teaching them. Let me show you just a few of their glaring deficiencies. There are many, but just a sampling. Peter Let's start with Peter. Peter was considered the best of these men, Simon Peter. He's considered the unofficial leader of the apostles. He certainly wasn't the first pope. He was the unofficial leader. He was sort of the spokesman for the group. Uh, This man, though the best of of all the apostles, really had no clue as to what was going on. Not even after the Christ's resurrection did did he grasp what this was all about. For example... Think with me of John chapter 13. You don't need to turn there, but think of John 13. John 13 is the great story of our Lord in the upper room coming there to to have the Passover meal, the last supper with his disciples, and somebody has to wash their stinky feet because feet were in sandals then, they were not closed, they had open roads, people reclined as they ate. You, You didn't want someone's smelly, dirty feet in your face or in your food. I won't go into all the details of what might be between the toes, but you get the point. So it was traditional, customary, understood that someone, usually the youngest one in the group or a slave, would wash the feet of people in the household. John 13 says Jesus waited. The disciples didn't do anything. And so he decided to teach them a lesson on humility. He, the great God of the universe, put on a little apron an oriental apron, got down, filled a basin of water, and began to wash their feet. What a picture of humility. And he even said to them, what I've done to you, you need to do. You need to learn to serve one another. Now, in the midst of all of this, now think about this. The, the sermon that Jesus gave, the sermon is on humility. It's Peter who speaks up and proudly says, Lord, you will never wash my feet. Just the opposite. I mean, talk about missing the sermon. The whole point of it. Here's Peter. The Lord's showing him humility, teaching him humility. And Peter doesn't get any of this and proudly says, you'll never wash my feet. And when Jesus said, and now he's talking about inner spiritual cleansing, if I don't wash your feet, Peter, you have nothing to do with me. And Peter, who still didn't know what he was talking about, said, Lord, then give me a whole bath. But, but Peter hasn't got a clue, hasn't got a clue as to what's going on. Then there's on another occasion, Matthew 16. Jesus has taken his disciples to the northern part of, uh, of Israel, frankly, uh, a part now that's right on the border of Lebanon that's, uh, that's come under attack, called Caesarea Philippi, or Caesarea Philippi, it should be pronounced. And Jesus begins to explain to his disciples some things about what's coming up. And in Matthew chapter 16, let me read this to you. Our Lord says in verse 21, he says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. So you understand Jesus is saying, the time has come for me to begin to emphasize this to you men. And uh, he tells them he's going to die. He's going to die at the hands of the leaders, the religious leaders. Now, he's just told them this. Verse 22, amazingly, says this. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Saying, God forbid, God forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Now, think about this. Jesus, his creator, God, the master, the king, has just said, This is what's going to happen to me. And Peter says, Lord, you don't know what you're talking about. You're wrong. I know better than you. Don't even say something like that again. What are you talking about? Now, folks, that's Peter. Not a clue as to what's going on. And Nervy, As well, this is what we call, Jewish people call chutzpah. This is unbelievable gall to take the Lord aside. It's like, Lord, I want to talk to you. Don't ever say that again. God forbid. Peter is rebuking the Lord. Amazing statement. By the way, this is one of the proofs that the Bible is the word of God. Because had men uh, on their own had to write this story, they would never be that honest about themselves. They would would exalt themselves. There would never be any statement like that in Scripture that is so uh, humiliating. But that was Peter. And it was also Peter who arrogantly boasted that he was better than the other disciples. Remember, Jesus said, this night you will all fall away. When they come to arrest me, all of you will scatter like, like sheep from the shepherd. And Peter arrogantly says to the Lord, Lord, I, and I'm paraphrasing now, these men, I know them, they'll do that. But not me. I will never deny you. And Jesus turns and said, Peter, not only will you deny me once, you'll deny me three times. That's just arrogance. And after our Lord's death, it was Peter who who was so humiliated and broken by his denial of the Lord that he walked away from the ministry. He returned to his old job of being a fisherman. Now, there's no problem in being a fisherman except that the Lord has called you to be in full-time vocation you don't go back to being a fisherman but that's what Peter did he went back to being a fisherman and Jesus restored him by three times asking him Peter do you love me and every time Peter said Lord you know that I love you and then Jesus said then if you love me then feed my sheep in other words Peter I called you to shepherd men not fish on the sea of Galilee What, what are you doing now if Peter was the best of the apostles and he had some serious defects in his character. And I didn't even mention about some of the other things that Peter said, always putting his foot in his mouth, always saying things that seemed to be uh, just lacking discernment and, and, and all that. He was rash, he was nervy, he was proud, he was unthinking, impulsive. And what about the worst of the disciples, if he was the best? Well, the worst would be who? It would be Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot wasn't even a true believer. Jesus called him the son of perdition. Judas was a lost man. You may wonder why did Jesus choose him to be a disciple? Perhaps because it was to be a, uh, a statement uh, and a lesson to learn for all of us that someone could be this close to the Lord and yet not be saved. Someone can know all that there is to know about scripture and and hear Christ's teaching and hear and, and be in a church and know the word of God and know other believers and yet not be converted. Perhaps that's the reason why Judas was chosen. But in any case, Judas was not even a converted man. He was satanic. The Bible says that he opened his heart to Satan. He was a crook who stole money that belonged to the ministry. That's why he said, why would why would this woman waste all of this 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 perfume on you lord why and then and then john adds he he didn't care about saving the money he was a crook and he used to take money he betrayed christ for money and then he took his own life and concerning judas jesus said that it would have been better if this man had never been born because to this day judas is tormented in hell and it is more severe than others now between the best apostle peter and the worst apostle Judas, you have a group of 10 other men who were guilty of many things. Man, they're not isolated. This is characteristic of their lives. What were they guilty of? Well, at times they were guilty of petty, and I mean petty jealousy. How often the New Testament says that, that these men argued over which one of them was greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Remember, John and, and James even had their mom go, go speak to Jesus. I'd like one of my sons to sit on your left hand, one on your right hand. And it says the others were indignant. Why were they indignant? Because they didn't think of it first. They, that, not because they thought these other guys, how unspiritual. We would never ask that. It's because they didn't get their moms to do this. That's exactly why. I'm not trying to be funny. That is exactly why they were indignant. So don't think that the others were so spiritual that they were condemning these men. They just hadn't thought of it first. They were annoyed. So they had petty jealousy. They, dis- they displayed at times extreme prejudice and hostility towards the Samaritans, who were a hated people by the Jewish people, and the, and the Samaritans hated the Jewish people as, as well. But remember the time James and John, known by the way as the Sons of Thunder, for their, uh, for their fiery temperaments. Remember they said to the Lord when, when there was a Samaritan village that did not receive Jesus because he, he looked Jewish. They knew he was Jewish. They didn't want him in that village. And James and John said, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven and destroy this whole place? You talk about a great missionary uh, spirit. These men said, let's just wipe them out. And Jesus said, you don't know what you're, you're talking about. You don't know what spirit you're, you're of. These men were, were hostile at times. You don't get the name son of thunder uh, for, for no good reason. They also at times were lacking in faith. They, 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 when I say lacking in faith, they were men of small faith. Little faith, Jesus said. It wasn't that they had no faith. They were true believers apart from Judas, but they often worried and they were fearful, even though they had observed all of Christ's miracles. Think about that. They saw all of those marvelous displays of miraculous supernatural power, and yet they never applied it to their lives, which is very easy for us to relate to, isn't it? Lord, you can do anything, but I'm not sure you can get me out of this problem. Yes, I know you created the heavens and the earth, but I've got this little conflict going on and I don't know how you'll solve it. Let me, let me show you how these men failed to apply and connect the dots uh, of Bible truths. John chapter six, in John chapter six, beginning at verse one, it says, after these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee or Tiberias. It was at times in history called the Sea of Tiberias. Tiberias is a city uh, actually today a very modern city on the Sea of Galilee. But now they've gone to the other side, which means the eastern side, the, the side of the Gentiles. But a large, it says, verse 2, a large crowd, meaning a large crowd of Jewish people, followed him because they saw the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. So they followed him because of, of the healing miracles they saw. Then Jesus went up on the mountain And there he sat down with his disciples. When I read this, and there's no way of proving this, I wonder if that was the very place that uh, those of us who were in Israel a few weeks ago were at. It says he went up on the mountain, the highest mountain and area, and that area is a place then known as Hippos. And um, I believe that would be the city, by the way, that when Jesus said, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden, that that was probably the city he was referring to because it was the highest City there we we climbed that place but nonetheless regardless of which one it was he went up on a high mountain and it says or he went up on a mountain now the Passover the feast of the Jews was near therefore Jesus lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming to him said to Philip Philip one of the apostles where are we to buy bread so that these may eat now the Lord asked this question not because he doesn't know what the answer is, but the next verse says that he was testing Philip. Verse 6, this he was saying to test him, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. What he was intending to do is multiply the little fish and the small loaves of uh, bread that he had, but he asked Philip, there's so many people coming, Philip, what should we do? Now, what the Lord wanted Philip to say was something like this. Lord, we've just observed all of your miracles. We've observed you healing. You can do anything. You can do anything. The fact that we don't have much with us, that's no obstacle to you. We've seen you walk on water. We've seen you heal people. We've seen you cast out demons. We've seen you calm storms. You really don't need to ask me, Lord, your God, do whatever you want. But Philip never got this. Never put together the miracles of Christ with the fact that Jesus could do anything and, and do this miracle of multiplying the food. Verse 7 says, this is Philip, a little bit thick here, but, but very much like us. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, for everyone to receive a little. It never dawns on him that God is in his midst. He's trying to figure out, like I've said before, takes his little calculator out. And says, it will not figure out. I, 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 the figures don't work, Lord. No wonder men of little faith. On several occasions in the New Testament, they showed an amazing lack of understanding of Christ's teaching. They just didn't get it. They just didn't know what he was talking about. When Jesus spoke in parables, they often took him. Remember, they often took him later and said, Lord, Tell us the meaning of this. Now, the purpose of a parable is to hide it from the unsaved, but it's supposed, we're supposed to understand it. Parables are not always that, they're really not that difficult to figure out, but these men couldn't figure it out. They said, Lord, explain it to us. In sort of plain Hebrew, explain it to us. They didn't get it. And there were a lot of things they didn't get, not just the parables. In fact, someone said this about these men, about their density: said they were so dense that they didn't even understand that they failed to understand. Now, that's pretty thick. They didn't even understand they failed to understand. They were also, and I think the most significant thing about these men, they were lacking in personal devotion to Christ, which became very evident when he was arrested, because all of them fled. When the soldiers took Jesus away, they all fled, every one of them. And yet, here's the point, with all of their character flaws and all of their glaring inadequacies, Matthew tells us at the beginning of chapter 10 that Jesus specifically chose these 12 men to be his official representatives, to share in his ministry, and eventually to transform the world by spreading his gospel. That that is amazing, just amazing, when you realize what they were like and the fact that he chose them. And folks, realize this, he chose them knowing full well all their faults, all their weaknesses, all their character defects, and yet he still selected them, still selected them. And he selected them, I might add, out of all of his followers. By this time in his ministry, there must have been hundreds of disciples, hundreds of, of Jewish people who attached themselves to Jesus. And, and I say that because we know that, that later on he sent out 70 of them, so he didn't just have 12. He had at least 70 and and probably a lot more. But he chose these particular 12 men to become his apostles. And I find that very encouraging. It ought to be an encouragement to every one of us because what it tells us is that with all of our faults and all of our inadequacies and defects, and we're really no different than these men, we're made of the same stuff, Jesus can still use us.
1: If he used them, he could use us. With the exception of Judas, who was not actually a believer, God used that small group of ignorant men of little faith to turn the world upside down. It's clear that Jesus knew what he was doing and that what happened wasn't accomplished by men. It was accomplished by God. That's why God chose such apparently inadequate disciples 2,000 years ago. And it's still how he works today. Thank you for listening to Verse by Verse. Pastor teacher Steve Kreloff leads us in these daily Bible studies. Pastor Steve has been serving for more than 26 years at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. These programs are brought to radio through the work of verse-by-verse ministries, a faith ministry made possible through the prayers and gifts of interested listeners who are first faithful to their own local churches. If you would like to hear today's class again or make it possible for a friend to hear it, you can find it at our website, versebyverseradio.org. Either download it for later or listen to it online. That's versebyverseradio.org. Today's program is part of a longer message which we will continue in our next broadcast. If you would like to hear the entire message at once, call us at 727 727- 441-1714. Leave your name and a number and we will return your call during weekday office hours so you can order a cassette tape or an audio CD. That number again, 727-441-1714. As we end our class, we leave the disciples looking pretty inadequate. That's just how God wants us to feel about ourselves.